Hi, and welcome to my podcast. My name is Jonathan Dixon, and this is my first podcast. Um, this podcast is mostly going to be about uh, people that I feel have a great story to tell and maybe haven't told it yet, and I hope to be able to share their story with you, the audience. Um, I think also we'll be talking to people who are really making a difference in their community, the world, you know, making a difference in some way. Uh, and I think what I find interesting, and I hope that you find interesting as, as well. Uh, my first guest is going to be a man named Ryan Morrison. He is a great friend of mine. He is a photographer, entrepreneur, um, and he's someone that, uh, as you'll come to find out, uh, we've known for I've known for a few years now, and probably just one of the nicest best people that I've ever met. So uh, without further ado, let's get started with the podcast. How's it going? How are you today? I'm so good. How You're are good? you doing? I'm doing well. What are we, what are you drinking right now? I'm drinking a Bud Light. Smooth and refreshing. Smooth and refreshing? <laughs> what are you drinking? Uh, you gave me a Shock Top Twisted Pretzel Wheat. Twisted Pretzel. Have you had it before? I have. I, it's yours, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so you probably have had it before. It wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. It's not bad. It just takes like a brown ale, like a heavier brown Absolutely. ale. Absolutely. The one thing that I'm obsessed with right now is pretzel buns. So like, if you if anybody who makes a burger on a pretzel bun and sweet potato fries, so that's what I was thinking, like beer, pretzel, you know, I thought it's it was like a baseball like a, game. Yeah, I thought so, you know? <laughs> so I was like, what in the world I am in? Sounds so good. Uh... Don't they have, doesn't like McDonald's or something like that have that, the pretzel oh, buns? Or is Wendy's or? I have no idea. I don't know. I couldn't it. tell you the last time I ate at one of those restaurants, but that would be pretty good if they did. Yeah, it would. So uh, where are we, where are we at right now? We're at your place. We are what's, sitting, what's this space like? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. We are sitting in my, currently kitchen, which is also the same as our dining room and uh, living room and all of this whole area is one big Big room, uh, newer house with some vaulted ceilings. But what we uh, tried to go is a little bit of like a rustic. Uh, so we have an old piano sitting over there. That's a um, old upright Steinway piano. We have a fireplace that's all stone. Um, big old wood table, some mason jars and flowers, and you know, just kind of get that. I like to go for the look of functional, and also if the power was to go out, it would still be just the same, you know, and I absolutely love that. So not a big emphasis on lots of pictures or TV or anything like that, but just a good living space. Is it in a state of constant improvement, or do you think, how do you feel the space is right now? Like yeah, when you it, walk into your space, what's the feeling that you get? Man, I feel like I'm home, I, and that's, that's such a cool feeling. It's always going to change. Um, but I think for me, it's, it's, it, I think it will continue to change. Um, but I, I like the way things are. And, and if we change a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, that's, what's going to make a difference. Um, it, you can probably hear my dog whining in the background. <laughs> a little bit. Come here. <laughs> he just wants to whine just to whine. But that adds to the ambiance as well. So... But yeah, I, I'm kind of a, I'm a person I think in life that wherever I'm in, I'm pretty content. So I don't really feel like I go into many spaces and like, 
always want to be changing it, always want something different, always want to repaint or have something, you know, changing too much. I like, I like just to accept things the way they are and then go from there. What's, uh, you said, you know, you feel home when you, when yeah. you walk in, what yeah. does home mean to you? Oh man, that's a good question. I, home for me is, there's a lot of different definitions to it. You know, we've, we've moved a couple of different places and, and I think a lot of places where I am feels like home, but I think what home is, is where, where your heart is at and, and where you can cultivate relationships and friendships and, um, and that doesn't necessarily need to be a, you know, brick and mortar place. It doesn't need to be, um, doesn't need to be much of anything. And, and don't get me wrong, this place, if it, if my wife and my dog and no one was in here, it could burn down and I wouldn't care one bit. You know, home could be somewhere else. It doesn't need to be this. I'm not trying to make this be a forever and hold on to it because I think that's an empty security. And so I feel like home to me is just where, yeah, where you have your relationships, where you have your fun, where you have your friends come, where you can host, do podcasts, where you can do photo shoots, whatever it is that you want to do. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I think that's what home is to me. And that's, that's always changing and it will continue to change in different stages of life as well. So for the audience uh, yeah. that's listening, we know each other pretty well. Right, right. Um, we've known each other for about, is it four years now? Is it yeah, we years? moved back four and a half years ago and I think we met kind of right out of the gate. So yeah. about four and a half already. Yeah, and we met, we met at uh, Apple. Both of us were employees for Apple Retail for a span of, I was there for three. Well, I was there for almost four years. Yeah, and I was at here in Iowa for uh, about three and a half years, and about a half a year out in California as well. Yeah, so we've we know each other pretty well. I thought this would be a, a nice start to podcasting is you know interviewing <laughs> someone that I know. Absolutely, <laughs> I think it helps out a lot. So, um, kind of going back to the idea of home, what uh, what what was home like when you when you were growing up when you were a kid? Mm. Yeah. That's a great question. I, I actually, I'll, I'll start yeah, with this. Where, where did you, where, is it? where did you grow up? Where's mm-hmm. home for you? Um, and then, yeah, what was what was that home like? Yeah. So home uh, for me, I grew up in a small town. It was I don't know seven hundred or so people. Um, not seven hundred thousand, like seven hundred people, <laughs> uh, in Atkins, Iowa, which is a, a little town outside of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in eastern Iowa. So. Um, yeah, that's that's where I grew up, and it was a, it was a wonderful little town. It's grown a lot since I've left there, but um, just because of its proximity to Cedar Rapids. Um, but home for me was, uh, I think a it was it was a really nice um, childhood. We had lo- I had lots of friends in the neighborhood. There was lots of kids my age, and we just kind of went out and we played. Literally, we played until the streetlights came on, and then we'd go home. And you know, we just uh, in Atkins, Iowa, there is. Um, I, I still don't believe there's any stoplights. There's one gas station and that, I mean, that's literally about it besides homes. And so, um, we just made our own fun and we went outside, we'd be creative, we'd play sports in the park or we would, um, yeah. So I feel like it was kind of an idyllic, um, what everybody says they want, like as a childhood, I think that was kind of what it was for me. So, um, but home for me was, my so my parents were divorced when I was really young and um I grew up with my mom and my mom had us two boys so me and my brother and then um so I grew up with my mom and my grandma 
So uh, I also spent summers up at my grandma's house, which is in uh, Dilhai, Iowa, another small town as well <laughs> in kind of northeastern Iowa and went to summer camps and all that. But um, and then my mom, when she was remarried, uh, I had two other older stepbrothers. So I grew up with all boys in the house. And, and um, so, yeah, my brother was the big sports guy. So we would go out and play catch sometimes. And but he would, you know, we didn't do it too much because he was older and stronger, so he would always laugh at when he'd chuck the ball super fast, and you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was it. Was a, I I really appreciated, and I look back on my childhood and really appreciated it. And I was also involved in like Boy Scouts and all kinds of fun, you know, activities there in in Atkins. So with yeah. some of those kids that you were, you said you hung out with growing mm-hmm. up until it got dark and the lights came on. Yeah, are those? Did a lot of those friendships, many of those friendships, kind of go into like middle school, high school years? Yeah, it it was interesting because we did elementary school all in that small town, and then middle school was combined with a couple of towns, and then high school was combined with even like more towns, and so elementary school we we just had what we had you know and and then once we got into middle school we still played sports together you know and that kind of stuff but we had kind of introduced a new set of friends and then a new set so yeah there were definitely friends that um we stuck through you know all the way through elementary middle school high school and and some of them are still friends with today so how do you think that dynamic of kind of that freedom to be able to run around have fun in the neighborhood kind of move into high school where all of a sudden there's a whole lot more people there uh, that you got to become friends with or don't have to become friends with. How do you think that uh, kind of changed for you in high school? How do you think that sort of uh, was for the positive or negative for you? Yeah, I think I think it was positive. And it was it was kind of fun because even in middle school, because we couldn't drive or anything like that, we like still didn't make really good friends with people in other towns <laughs> because we knew we couldn't hang out with them unless our parents took us or whatever. Well, we so, yeah, exactly. So uh, and <laughs> some of my friends even joke that I dated an older uh, girl who lived kind of on the whole other side of our district uh because she could drive and she could drive me everywhere nice. and then when we when I was old enough to drive that's when we stopped dating. <laughs> so, but no it was it was so fun and I, I really think it was a positive thing to kind of introduce it in stages and, and each stage of life kinda had um new people and, and I it just was different chapters of life and I think that they, they were all um you know quite pos- positive and I mean for me like thinking back it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, you know, throughout my um, entire childhood or anything like that. There was a lot of hard times, especially through like middle school and high school was really tough, but, um, but throughout it all, I really, um, yeah, I, I really look back at it with a positive, you know, view on it all. Nice. Yeah. Cause I, you know, for myself growing up, yeah. uh, I went to one school elementary all the way through high school. So absolutely I pretty much yeah. knew the same people yeah. from kindergarten to 12th grade. So it's yeah. always interesting for me to yeah. hear, how that sort of change happened as you were growing up. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. most other people experienced that, but I never experienced it. The first time I experienced it was in was kind of in college, university. So did you go to – I know you went to UNI. Did you yeah. go to UNI your freshman year? Did you go straight to UNI? No, I didn't. I went to uh, Hawkeye Community College up in Waterloo first. So that I knew I was going there for the longest time. So that was um, – they had a really good photography program at the time, and I think they still do. But they um, – 
yeah, I had a friend that was a year ahead of me and she was kind of one of them that one of the people that got me into photography and she was going to school there a year ahead of me. And so, um, yeah, so we, I applied at a young age, they had a waiting list and I got in right out of, uh, high school. And I think I was one of only two people that actually was fresh out of high school into the photography program. So that worked out really well um, for me. And so I went to Hawkeye, did two years of photography school. And then uh, I had done some community class or sorry, college classes um, when I was in high school. And then I also did summer school and all that kind of stuff. So I was um, got this other degree in photography, but I also had um, a lot of credits going in and I transferred to UNI after the second year of, um, so I completed two years of photography school, got a degree in photography, and then I transferred over to UNI after that. And I was only there for two years, but then I completed essentially with all the extra credits I had gotten throughout the years, I had, um, completed that four years in two. So I was all done in four years. What about that, that individual, that person yeah. got you into photography? Oh man. So yeah, going back to it, uh, Beth Britton is her name. Well, uh, Richardson is her married name now. Is now, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she, uh, so she was somebody that I knew growing up since I was a little kid. And we, I kind of had a crush on her. I think it was seventh grade and she was an eighth grader and she was kind of into photography. So I was like, hey, you know, she's into photography. Like I'm, I'm going to be interested she's in photography. Into it, yeah. I'm totally into it. I think it's so cool, you know? And so I just, um... I started shooting a little bit with like my parents' camera and different things like that. And I, I actually really fell in love with photography through that. So um, she kind of, I, I think, would be one of the first people that introduced me to it and made me kind of want to get into it. And then once I got into it, I was like, this is this is incredible. And so, um, yeah. And then I think after seventh year or seventh grade, um, that summer, I think, is when we broke up because it wasn't cool for somebody going into high school to be dating middle school. You're, you know, you know, but she... But yeah, she ended up going to photography school. We, we still keep in contact. She's um, a great photographer and a great person. And, and it just, it's so fun to see how those different people, you know, come into your life for different reasons, you know, or different seasons or a lifetime or whatever it is. But I, yeah, so that's, so yeah, I got kind of interested then. And it was that, um, that Christmas, I think, was when my grandma bought me my first film camera. And so that was before like digital. So I got a film, actually a film Canon Rebel at the time. Oh, wow. And uh, the digital Rebels weren't out yet, I don't believe. And so it was a nice small 35 millimeter, you know, you could play around with it. So I got that first. Non-interchangeable lenses? uh, It was an interchangeable lens, lenses camera. So that was really nice. Um, But I just had the kit lens at first. And so I just went out and shot with that. Um, and spent tons of money on film and, and just had a lot of fun. And that was, that was kind of the spark that once I got my own camera in my hands and just got out, like my grandma, I remember after we opened presents on Christmas, my grandma, I just begged her to like, just take me out for a drive. Like, that's all I want to do is just go take pictures with my camera. And so, um, we went out and I remember, I don't know if it was the first photo or it was in that first roll of film though, that we took, um, I'll never forget it. It was a sunset and it was like this tree and a horse silhouetted on top of a hill. And it was just about a mile um, outside of where I lived in Atkins. And it was just incredible. And I think just seeing that, capturing that just was, was one of those things that I'm like, this is, this is incredible. I really want to do this either as a hobby or a profession, you know, and that's, that's kind of where it started. 
Yeah, I think I've seen that photo. I don't yeah. know if you, it was like a social thing I, yeah, or I think like I, I actually it. saw the photo. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. I posted it about a year or so ago. That was just kind of like, here's where it started. You yeah. Know, it yeah. Really I remember fun. seeing that and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah. he's pretty talented, but to see that from the very beginning, it's yeah. like, yeah. I mean, that's, the, but it, I mean, isn't that the essence of photography? Like, mm-hmm. especially with film, like you yeah. don't always know how it's going to turn out. Right. You have an idea, but you don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. To see something like that turn out, like it just it, it inspires you, I'd imagine. Right. And I think it, it was one of those first times that I could express what I saw, you know, and somebody else could see that. And I think my perspective and and just that simplicity of that scene and the color, I just really, I thought it was a beautiful moment. And it was just incredible that I was able to capture it and share it, you know, and that I think was one of the beginning i think when you're starting a new let's just call it a, a hobby or a skill i think when you're starting something new even if it's language learning you know it it, it needs i think to be cultivated and needs to be watered it needs you need but you need success early on to want to continue to do it and i'm, I'm never going to say that i've learned it all with photography every day is a new learning experience but i feel like with that it was one of those like small wins right away that i was like oh my gosh, I need to continue doing this and continue capturing this, you know? Um, and so I think, there's that small win yeah. right away that you're like, I can do this. Absolutely. I, I did that. I, I did that and this. I can keep doing it, you know? And I had a lot of positive feedback with my family and friends showing them those first photos. And I think that that was really helpful. And looking back, like it wasn't the best photo in the world, you know? But I think um, those small wins are what it really takes sometimes to, you know, start to go down that path and I think that was that was a lot of fun and and I could tell you continually throughout my quote-unquote career so far like what a lot of those small wins have been throughout the years and I think those it's just a culmination of the people I've met and the the small wins and the you know circumstances that I happen to be in and where I was it just yeah it all kind of plays together and I think it's just incredible to kind of look back and and be appreciative of it as well. With some of those people that yeah. you've met along the way, looking at Hawkeye, I mean, it seems like that yeah. left a pretty good impression on you, because yeah. I mean, you had to be let in. You right. were one of only two right out of high school. Right. So tell me, what talk about what, what was that program like? Was yeah. What was it like, A, and then B, you know, is there anybody professor-wise that stood out to you as like someone that was a mentor or mm. someone that really inspired you or helped you hone your craft? Yeah. I so the photography program at Hawkeye when I was going through it, which was two thousand six, the fall of two thousand six is when I started, and I believe that they accepted sixty people in, and it wasn't like a portfolio review to get in or anything like that. It was just kind of like a list basis when you got signed up is when you got in and the waiting list. But um, sixty people got in. Normally, I think about thirty graduated at that time, so it was about a fifty percent dropout rate because there's a lot of people that at that time loved photography, but. Actually, we were still shooting all film um, the first year at least. And so they, you know, it was expensive. It was expensive. We didn't have all the book tuitions and all that that we, that a lot of colleges have. We had some books. but um, So I think it kind of evened out. But with that, the film, the processing, the, you know, the time it takes to go through and, and do the dark room and all that kind of stuff. I think a lot of people just kind of dropped out right away, you know, or, or throughout the process because of that. But... Um, but that process was amazing. And I think for me, one of the most helpful things that I ever did was when, by the time I made it to photography school, I had been shooting a lot of my friends as senior pictures. 
um, in, in high school. So that was really fun. It was an easy way to make, you know, quick money and that kind of, and it was really fun. And I got a lot of good feedback, a lot of bad feedback too, you know, like I didn't do really well on a lot of photos. And so like (laughs) people would hire me and then go get professionally done and, you know, but, uh, it was neat and it was, it was incredible that my friends and my friends' parents gave me the opportunity to do, to do that. But, um, so by the time I got in there, I had some pretty good experience, um, working with people, working a little bit on the business side. I had already started, um, you know, filing taxes for my photography and that kind of stuff. And so like, I felt pretty comfortable going in, but I think one of the coolest things that photography school did was they, you compared your stuff against everybody else. And I think once I started doing that, not in a, like I'm better than anybody or worse than anybody, but just in a comparison of, we all had the same assignment. Here's 60 or 59 other people that have their assignments lined up next to mine. And there were some that were much better, you know? And I think to have that comparison, to see like, okay, if I am shooting for a newspaper or if I am shooting for an organization someday or, or whatever it is, which are the ones that stand out? And, you know, a good 40 of them didn't do anything, you know, but then a good 20. And so I think that comparison and almost that competitive, I wouldn't ever say that I'm necessarily a competitive person, um, at least sports wise and that kind of a thing. But I I really feel like um, when we can compare and when we can push each other to be better, I think that is, that was one of the best things that I did in photography school. And I also um, learned a, a technique that I recommend to everyone. And this is like a life technique for me right now. Which, um, so I'll talk about this uh, instructor, Dan Neerling, here in a little bit. He was definitely one. Uh, all the instructors were wonderful, but he, he was one that just kind of, um, I think, resonated on a deeper level for me. Um, and one thing that he taught was he, he was a photojournalist um, that had worked newspaper industry for a long time. And, and his saying was, you get in and you get the photo that the newspaper needs right away. Like whatever you do, like go in, get it done in the first like five, 10 minutes that you can hand in as your assignment and your editor will be super happy, you know? So that's, that's what you do. And then you stick around and you get the photo that you want and you turn in both and they'll always choose the one that you want or that you wanted. And so I think that that for me was such an interesting, um, change in in my just whole philosophy about art and about life and and because you do need to understand I think and where a lot of people um fail is is especially in creativity if you're getting paid let's say to do it is a lot of people don't understand what um what it is that the audience wants what it is that the editor wants what it is that the people want so if somebody hires you for um a a headshot you know, let's say it's just outdoors and they want a headshot, you need to be able to understand what they want and you need to deliver that. But then you also need to use your own artistry and deliver that as well. And I think that, um, yeah, when Dan taught me that and when, um, I think that was one of the best lessons that I learned and I still continue to use just in, in anything. I think, you know, if I go into, um, yeah, most any scenario, I think, like, great example, when my wife and I travel, and we go into a city for the first time, um, the thing that I always tell her is, let's get into the city, and let's do the one thing we need to get done in the first hour or two of being there. And then if we still have three days, that's awesome. 
you know, but let's get in and get the thing we need done first, because then we can just enjoy and we can just not be stressed about needing to still get that done. So I think that was, that was something that, um, just that comparison, but then also, um, getting into a situation, getting what you need, and then also then going and going for what you want, um, were two of the biggest things I learned in photography school. So that was, that was very long winded. Oh, that's fine. That's (laughs) perfect. That's very good. Uh, so what do you, how do I say this? Where do you think that kind of need arises from your life? Like you're really focusing on, I got what I needed done first Mm. and then I did what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, we go and see, we go and do what we need and then we have time to go do what we want kind of thing. Yeah. Like, where do you think that comes from? Yeah. I think because sometimes people will say, I did what I need to do. I'm good. Right. That's it. That's all I need to do. But, you know, so where does that come from for you? Yeah. I mean, we can relate it to so many cliche sayings, but I mean, I I think it truly is. You need to be self-motivated. And I think second, you need to, if you're ever going to stand out at anything in life, you need to go above and beyond. You need to go further and you need to push yourself harder than what other people won't. And I think that, you know, especially nowadays with a lot of the easy, everybody's, you know, got a million things going on, but they're maybe not great at a million things, you know, and, and compare that to somebody who has maybe like one thing that he's focusing on and or she, and they're really, really good at it. I think that they're going to stand out because they're going to go the extra mile. They're going to, you know, if you're working out and, you know, you do an extra five reps every single time, you know, you're going to be... <laughs> further along than the person that does 10, you know, whatever. But I think, I think with that, I think for me, it just has always been, um, I think deeply rooted. I'm also a, a people pleaser. And I think that in art, that's, that's a hard dynamic to have. And I think, so I've always wanted to go that extra mile to like, please other people. But now I'm starting to, uh, just in the beginner stages of figure out what it means to be happy with my own work and, and be okay with what I'm doing. And even if no one else looks at my work or something like that, you know, but I think that going that extra mile and, you know, cause if you just get the picture that everybody wanted, you're just going to be like everybody else. And so if you, if you go that extra mile, then you're going to be the one that stands out and you um, are going to be the one that is the person that people go to, you know, because they, know you understand them, but then they also know you understand yourself and your own work as well. Yeah, that's, that's really true. I mean, it really is. So you finished school. Yeah. You did two years at UNI. Yeah. And, then, and I got a communications degree okay. at UNI. But then you, so you become a photographer right away mm-hmm. or, mm, or because no I mean, way. you went to Apple. Yeah. So like what's, where's, yeah. where's yeah. what happened there? Awesome. So my, so I did a um, communications degree because when I was in photography school and soon after I, I kind of pictured five years out, 10 years out, I pictured that this digital revolution of cheap digital cameras was going to take over. And I figured when that did, when that did take over, the, the barrier to entry for most people to get into photography was going to be so much uh, less than what it was when I got into it, you know, because... If I didn't have a family that supported my expensive film habit, 
you know, I don't think I would have uh, been able to shoot as much. I don't think, you know, so there all those circumstances, I think for me personally, were right to be able to, you know, have a camera, shoot film, that kind of stuff. But um, I figured after digital kind of takes over a little bit more, um, I felt like then, um, then people were going to have, could shoot as much as they wanted and that kind of thing. And once digital got up to about the caliber of what film you know, was where you couldn't see pixelation and that kind of thing. Then, then, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> if you can hear my dog in the background whining <laughs> so much because he wants to go outside. Um, Do we need to take a break? Yeah, you know what? Let's take a let's take a little break. So, okay, so we we're kind of talking a little bit about uh, like why you hadn't, not hadn't, but weren't going into like the photography business mm-hmm. and a little bit about the digital revolution, that kind of what's going on in photography. Yeah, luckily that was one thing that I saw kind of coming to, coming before it happened. And I knew that there was going to be much less of a barrier to entry coming into photography because before it would have been you had to buy a, a camera, you had to get nice lenses, then you had to buy all the film if you were going to shoot. And, you know, it, and the, it just was expensive because the film was expensive and the printing was expensive and, and going through processing and all that. And, and it just was time intensive. And so... Um, I just kind of saw that the once digital photography became in the like let's say SLR cameras when that became something that you could shoot way more you could there was less of a barrier to entry the prices were comparable to film cameras but then you didn't have that reoccurring um, fee of the film that it took to shoot it, it's it's kind of like if there was cars that didn't you you didn't all of a sudden need to pay for gas anymore you know and and if it was the same price of course that's where it was going to go and so that was that was something for me that I saw I, I had no idea though the how great mobile photography was going to become in phones I think that was one of the issues that I never saw coming because I just I you was just thought in the, the mindset, little tiny yeah. cameras that right. everybody in college little, was already kind of hanging right like, I had one exactly. like cheap one like, yep $70 one from right. Target. Yeah, and I always carried those around with me at all times. Um, but I think that, like, the the quality of, like, what the iPhones are now, let's say 10 years later, is just incredible. I mean, the iPhones weren't even out then. And there right. wasn't, you know, Facebook was new. There wasn't Instagram. There wasn't... The, the, but So I never saw that coming fully. But I definitely saw that, hey, life was going to change a lot in the photography business. And I need to not just be quote unquote, a photographer. I knew that that was one thing deeply like rooted inside of me. I said, I want to be a photographer, but I definitely don't, I need to be more than just a photographer. So, um, so yeah, that's when I went to college and, and got a uh, degree in communications and focused a lot on mass communications and how, um, advertising, um, affected people and intercom, you know, like, um, just, just a lot of how communications affect people. I thought that was just absolutely fascinating. And so then um, after college, uh, I married my girlfriend, Alyssa, and we're still married, and, and she's incredible. And we um, just were dreamers. And so we just kind of had this dream to get out of Iowa. You know, I'd lived there my whole life. And I um, actually up until uh, right after high school, I really had, I'd never left the country. I didn't know you know, what was kind of outside. But then once I did, I just kind of got this travel bug. And, and so, 
Um, we got married and moved out to California. That was kind of one of our dreams. I think that's most uh, most dreams of Iowa kids. I feel like is everybody wants to move move to I California. I know I had that. Yeah. I know I had that. First time yeah. I went to California, I was like, this place is so amazing. Right. Yeah, and I want to go there. It was either Colorado or California. Exactly. I think those are the two spots that uh, <laughs> most Midwestern Iowa kids go. But so we just decided, you know what, like life is short. We just got to go for it. So we did. And, and Alyssa was lucky enough to get a job out there. So when I went out there, I, I didn't have a job, uh, right away. And I had been freelancing for years, um, while I was going through school and all that. But the, the interesting thing was once we got out there, um, Santa Barbara was where we moved, which is just like Disney world. Like it's just perfect in every way. The weather's perfect every day. All the streets are clean. Like it's just an amazing place. But it also is um, where there is one of the best photography schools um, and where there was at the time and there still is out there, uh, Brooks Institute. And I'd actually, uh, ironically enough, looked into going out there. Um, but the interesting thing was, is most people that move out there for school, a lot of times will stick around because it's amazing. And so <laughs> Brooks and, and Santa Barbara is just completely oversaturated with incredible photographers, <laughs> which is such a funny thing. So when I got out there, like I had no connections, I had no uh, network, I had no friends really. I, I, we were just new out there and I was a freelance photographer. And so, um, so I just said, Hey, this is a time that I can reinvent myself and I can, um, continue to push myself and challenge myself. And I knew one thing that I needed to get into was web, web stuff. And, and at that time, I mean, I had a website, but I didn't know anything about it. Not, you know, the web isn't and wasn't as fully developed at that time. And so I said, I just need to learn it. And so I started telling people and applying for jobs as a, either a graphic designer, cause I had a tiny bit of Photoshop experience from photography school or, uh, like a web host. And so I, crazy enough, a couple weeks in, I got a job as a uh, web host at a church. And so <laughs> I took care of their, um, and, and it kind of more. So you lied to get a job at a church. I, I didn't lie, <laughs> but I definitely said I was strong in photography. But I had design skills, and I was learning web stuff. And so, just crazy how it all worked out. But I got a job hosting their website, and literally like day one, they knew I wasn't like crazy good at you know web stuff. Um, so they like legitimately like handed me this textbook, and it was like here you go, here's how you learn the web, you know, and so I took over this website um, that was fully, I mean, it was, it was kind of janky how it all was the back end, but it was incredible, and it was an incredible learning experience, and, and it was, I had to learn on the go, and I learned um, kind of basic code, but the nice part was everything was already set up, I didn't have to create it from scratch, I was just uh, kind of maintenance, and so by doing that and dissecting um, literally just this HTML code, um, on the back end, I, I learned um, a little bit more about that, and I learned, um, so then I also did all their designs. So I really was out of photography by this time. And the interesting thing, I think, that when you move to a different place or you start telling yourself, or you start telling people different things about yourself, they they go with that. And then you have to back it up, you have to prove it, you have to, you know, be reliable. But, I, but the interesting thing was, once I started... Um, going down that route of saying like, Hey, I'm a web guy and I do graphic design. Then all the network that I started creating, no one knew I was into photography, you know, which was really interesting. And so, 
Um, yeah, so I, I just learned that and, and went into that and, and just all I wanted to do was learn. And so then, um, oh, about, I would say five, six months, no, maybe a little less. Yeah, about that time. Anyway, I, I wanted a second job because I was part-time and I was freelancing on the other half and I ended up shooting a couple of weddings and just doing some different things. But, um, I just wanted a little extra income and my wife was working crazy long hours. And so I was like, Hey, I need, I need something else to occupy my time. So um, I applied at Apple as well. I actually was in the store uh, waiting for a movie and I met a girl, a lady there that was from Iowa. And <laughs> she's like, I need another Iowan on the staff, you know? And so Julie was the one that um, she recommended that I apply. And, and so um, anyway, yeah, then I started working there. And then through that process over the next couple of years, like I became a creative and a trainer. And so I trained um, video, uh, which I had really hardly need prior knowledge to it, but I had a camera that could shoot some videos. So I played around a little bit with a church job. Um, and so I was just a newbie in a lot of that, but then I learned, uh, video editing, photo, you know, did logic, which is audio engineering and, and, uh, motion, which is animation. So like, I just kind of, um, throughout that job, learned a lot of other skills besides photography. And I think that was exactly what I didn't know I needed, but that's exactly what I needed. Um, but it was just always that pushing myself into scenarios that I wasn't comfortable and pushing myself into trying to redefine myself. Um, because the funny part was when I moved out to California, I stopped being quote unquote a photographer um, and did other things. And then when I moved back to Iowa, I still, I was known for different things other than being a photographer um, because I moved into a new area with new connections. And so um, I started redefining myself back into being a photographer just recently, which has um, been an incredible journey. And I think that my photography is so much better because of all of these other skills that I've picked up kind of along the journey um, that have made it to be where I am right now. Yeah, I think... I want to I want to keep going yeah. going with that. Yeah. Um, but first, and it's if if it's okay if you're not real comfortable, like it's sensitive about talking about it. But I mean, knowing you, I knew that mm. you were sick for a time in your life. Yeah. More than just the flu, you know. This was um, <laughs> something pretty extreme. Um, can you do you want to talk about that, or do you do you want to just keep talking about like how the business is going? And no, because like the business is boring stuff. So <laughs> it's. Um, no, I'd love to talk about it. And, and I, I would definitely say that I'm an open book in, in a lot of different ways with that. So yeah, uh, when I was going through photography school, so this whole time period that we're kind of talking about right now, there's a huge element that I think has shaped everything, um, that has been almost the why behind, um, what I have been doing. And so, uh, yeah, I'd say that, uh, my adult life, and I define that by like 18 through 20, let's say five, which I don't know if that's adult. That's like, I don't know, late kid, early adult. Early 20s. But yeah, exactly. My early 20s, uh, late teens, have been defined by um, two, two major sicknesses. And uh, the first one started when I was uh, 18, the fall. Um, I just turned 18, and um, I had been going through a lot and going through a lot of life changes. And actually, my um, stepsister, who I was pretty close to, she passed away my senior year of college, or sorry, of high school, um, right before I went to college um, in that February, and then um, in August of that year. So I was kind of going through that. I had gone through a really rocky relationship with church and with 
life and with friends and I, I just wanted a new start. You know, after high school, I, I kind of said, all right, I'm, I actually ended up living by myself. I was like, I really, I, I just want to focus on photography. That's all I really want to do. Um, and I wasn't going to church or anything like that at the time, but I had, I just started all these changes and then I, and then I got really sick. And, um, so the first thing I'll fast forward through about nine months of, of trying to figure out what I had. Um, and then I'll go back, but I, I was diagnosed with a, um, completely unknown flesh eating virus that ate my body away kind of from the inside out. So it started in my left testicle and um, just kind of did lots of damage there. So I ended up after about nine months of going through it of hardly ever sleeping and going through tons of pain and going, this is my freshman year of college, um, going through a lot of uh, different things like that, that next summer um, between my freshman and sophomore year, I, I finally got up to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and they treated me um, basically as a ca cancer patient up there and they um, didn't know exactly what was going on. They did exploratory surgery and still don't have any answers, but they, um, yeah, it, it had killed off all the living cells in my left testicle and then went up into like an artery into my heart and different things like that. So it just has, um, that definitely, uh, when you are put on your, I don't want to say deathbed, but definitely when you have to look at death and you need to look at, um, these real issues of, um, of what life is and what um, community is and and what's your contribution to the world and, and if you weren't going to be around, what, what would be left of your quote-unquote legacy? I think those were definitely things that I really started thinking about when I was 18 and not many people, uh, I don't feel like it, luckily, fortunately, not many people have to uh, face that, but it was the greatest blessing that I had ever been through um, at that time, and I would never wish it upon anybody. But that was that was just an incredible time in my life, and an incredible pain, and incredible, um, just um, there was just so much that I felt like I had to deal with, um, and I think it just really shifted my perspective on life completely, and it shifted my. Um, perspective on photography and and why and all of that um, throughout that time. So I was sick for yeah about about nine months until I had surgery and then after surgery I had residual problems for about another year and a half or so. So it was it was a good couple of years of my life um, that I was going through that and then. Um, I'll fast forward to the second one and just talk about that really quick. First, so, before you say yeah, before that, ahead. I think it's yeah obviously. It's a really hard time in your life, but mm. it's also really fascinating because, I mean, not everybody gets a flesh-eating virus. Right, right. So, like, what yeah. is that? Yeah, that's... Oh, I, I kind of sometimes approach it like everyone knows or everyone's had it because that's what I've dealt like, with. But, everybody gets yeah. a flesh-eating virus now and again, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. No, it... Basically, what it was, was it was a virus um, that... And this one is mine particularly, it, that it... It ate away the living cells, um, and some people get it on the outside, so like skin cells or something like that. Mine um, was in those. Uh, it cut off the circulation. Sorry if this is too graphic. Uh, for any, there's a disclaimer. I, I would apologize. definitely put an yeah. NSFW at the beginning of my podcast. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're using the word testicles. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> no, I. So it it uh, like ate away those living cells of uh, inside. Um, my testicle, and so it ate away um, one of them, and and so it just was. It's a really interesting thing that I, I that wasn't seen on the outside, and and it wasn't it, it wasn't anything that anybody would ever think that I was going through. 
Um, but just that pain was, um, just to go through it, it was, it was really, really tough, I guess. So was, uh, yeah. was it cells that were your own body attacking kind of like cancer or were they cells that originated someplace else that they couldn't, they didn't know? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a big cloud of uncertainty around it still. Um, they, to the best of their knowledge, they being the doctors. They, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mayo specifically. Yeah, Mayo specifically. Uh, those doctors w- believed that it was from somewhere else. It wasn't necessarily an autoimmune um, or, or anything like that that originated. But they have no idea where or how or why or anything like that. There was no um, crazy places I'd been that they were thinking, okay, that's where it had to have come from, no crazy foods or anything like that. So it was just a completely um, unknown all the way around. And, and one of the best ways that one of the doctors described it was that... Um, he said it was kind of like if you have never seen a tornado before and you go, and many people listening might not know what a tornado is, but us Midwesterners sure do. <laughs> but it was kind of like if you have never seen a tornado and you leave to go to the grocery store and you come back to your town, let's say, and it's completely um, just gone. You know, that it was ravished by a tornado and your house is gone and your friends' houses are gone and you just come back and you have no idea what happened, but you just can see the destruction. And that was kind of how they described it um, at that time was just that the, all we see is the destruction. We've never seen a tornado. We don't. We can't tell you what it was or what it is or if it's going to come back or if it's um, gone or if it's dormant. But what they did was essentially in this scenario, you know, in this um, scenario that I'm explaining, they they essentially are just cleaning up the pieces. You know, they they just kind of cleaned up and said, hey, I. I don't know what it was. There's no living cells that we can test. There's nothing that virus they couldn't find it anywhere necessarily inside of um, inside of me anymore. So they they just kind of cleaned up and said, "Hey man, that was that's rough. I don't know, you know, and and let's move on from there." So I wasn't put on any um, medicines. I wasn't put on any you know chemo. I wasn't really? legitimately just healed up. And they said when if out. something else comes up come see us and i did i mean i had um other issues i had all kinds of different things heart issues and and stuff come up but, but luckily i you know lived through it and i haven't had any issues from that specifically in in oh last couple of years so it's been a good probably oh man it's been a while since i've had any issues with that so yeah, that's been fantastic. That's good. Yeah. That's good. What's, yeah. uh, and you kind of said this was the first part. What's what's the second yeah. part? <laughs> so let's fast forward. Let's yeah. forget about everything that happened the first time. Yeah, never because happened. Because there's, there's no correlation that anybody can put between the two. But uh, moved out to California uh, essentially because I was like, hey, I want away from the doctors. I want away from this life that I'd lived before. And um, right at the end of my time there, um, uh Right before we moved back, I went to a doctor because I felt like my thumb was getting weak. Super random, but it was one of those things where I was like, I, I just couldn't really open jars anymore. Just things weren't things weren't functioning with my left hand as well as they were. So was it a feeling like it, the way it's like numb if it goes to sleep? Or it was it was more of like the it was like an atrophied muscle. So like the muscle was getting weak, and just I started to get kind of a crater like by my thumb or it was between that like bottom thumb joint and almost your wrist. Like Mm. that part right there was getting just, it was disappearing. Like it was getting super weak and I wasn't using it any less. I wasn't. And so it was just a weird thing, but I kind of, I went to a doctor out there and they're like, I don't know, you know? And so that's fine. I 
fast forward probably another five months or so, um, there was one day that I was trying to open up a jar, peanut butter, pickle, I don't know what it was, but it was a jar and, and I legitimately could not open it with my left hand anymore. And when I went to open it with my right, um, I didn't have enough strength to hold the jar mm. with my left hand. So it was one of those things where I was like, something's up, you know, like it really is. I thought there kind of was, but I just tried to forget about it for a little while. Because the last thing at this point in my life that I ever want to do is go back to any doctor, you know. So I, I started that journey again. I, I went to a doctor. They referred me on to another one. They referred me on to a hand specialist, you know, and it, it goes on and on. Um, finally, they I got to a hand surgeon that was like, hey, we're going to do exploratory surgery. And for some reason, gut feeling, I was like, nope, this doesn't feel right. Something's something's up. You know, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm normally a like I trust doctors and, you know, I trusted this person. But I just felt like it wasn't right. So I, I said, hey, I went back to my first doctor and I got another referral up to Mayo Clinic and, and got into Mayo and uh, they did testing and testing and testing and couldn't find anything. They just completely have no idea. And they did all kinds of, you know, the painful testing and whatnot. And um, finally it came up on an x-ray, not even the fancy MRIs or anything like that. Came up on an x-ray that there was a little tiny black dot down my wrist, uh, about two inches from uh, kind of where your carpal tunnel area is and your wrist, where your wrist bends. It was about two inches down on the inside. Um, they found this black dot and they said, never seen that, like I have no idea, let's, let's explore. So they explored that little tiny dot, which wasn't even in my hand, but they explored that and um, they thought I had something that thought I had something else, like got kind of further and further and then they um, finally, after they got in there, they found that I have a super rare form of tumors that grow inside of my, inside the nerve. Hmm. And so most tumors, which are rare, they'll grow on the outside and it's a non-cancerous tumor. Um, but they, they grow on the outside or there's like a less common version, which grows on the outside and then kind of gets into your nerve. But I think at that time it was less than 40. I think it was 30 something people that um, at Mayo Clinic had ever been diagnosed with what I had. So very rare um, tumor and they're so tiny they don't show up on medical stuff. So that essentially shut down um, the functionality of that little section of my thumb. And hmm. so they uh, cut out that nerve, that little section, uh, the tumor tested it for cancer and that kind of stuff. And then they um, actually replaced it with a, a cadaver nerve or a nerve from a dead person <laughs> to run um, that functionality again. And so uh, right there in that median nerve. So um, anyway, that's that's that. And they found kind of more tumors down and up my arm. And, and it's I'm the only case ever to have it past my elbow. So they've never really seen it past there um, because it's known, or at least at the time that I had it, uh, that... Um, it's always been known as a trunk issue. So like in your back or in your upper arm or something like that, they've never seen it go that far. So um, it kind of became a quote unquote hospital celebrity, which is not something that you ever really want to be, <laughs> but got to meet lots of the heads of the hospitals and got written up in a medical journal and that kind of fun stuff. But um, with all that, it, that was a super, super rare thing that they didn't really have anything to go off of. And and the people that had been diagnosed before, I don't think had a very good track record of living very long. And they, um, and a lot of them were either younger than one or older than I think 60 or 80 or something like that. So like 
it was it was we I'm just this weird case again, you know, and they can't find any correlation between that virus that I had with neurological issues or anything like that. Would they? I mean, it was at the same hospital. They went through all the same records, and and no correlation can be drawn between the two. So just kind of lucky enough to have two crazy things, I guess to. Um, to kind of go through, and that was a couple of years ago, and and but I've been doing really well lately, and I I can't complain with that. It's interesting because <laughs> I just I'm just I pause there because I'm just trying yeah. to like think about yeah what it'd be like because you know what I was struggling with was like how am I going to get this girl to go out with me on Friday <laughs> night, and you're you're dealing with things that are painful beyond anything I've ever felt. Mm. Um, and you said that earlier, how it sort of changed the perspective of your life after the first one. Um, do you think that's what led you to moving out to California and kind of pursuing that new new life? And um, yeah, what did that, do you think that's what it did for you? And like, what, why, why did it do that for you, I guess? Well, you already said it was why, but yeah, what no, did it do for you? No, it's good. I I would say that what it did was it made me, at least the first one, let's say, um, because that was before I had moved out to California, before I, you know, like went skydiving, rode motorcycle, all that fun stuff that I, I would have never done before. But I think that what it did was it made me look death straight in the eye, you know, and, and look at myself straight in the mirror and, and really, I think, analyze what what is important in life and what am I afraid of? And, and when you can answer those two questions, and, and I would say for me personally, it keeps changing, you know, and, and every, every new chapter in life brings new, um, new worries and hopes and fears and pains and all that. But, but I really feel like at that time in my life, I never had thought about that, you know, and it, you just think about the girls or you think about whatever it is. And, and I would, I'm guilty as charged on that, you know, especially like I look at myself in high school and I was like girl crazy and I you know like I dated like one person for a couple of years but like I devoted all my time and I look back and I think of like my guy friends and I didn't really develop those relationships too much but but anyway not to go down a different tangent <laughs> but I think you know when when you're faced with that and I think to pair that with I watched my um, stepsister pass away and then to also within a, like basically within a year of that have to face it myself and to see her grace through that, and then also to look at that. And once again, people are facing life and death situations way worse than I ever did. And and so I never want to compare myself to that. And also, I mean, like, every day we live is a life and death situation. We're all going to die. No one's getting out alive. But I think, you know, I, I just really feel like I started thinking about that more and started thinking about, like, do I want to be the person that burns bridges? Do I want to be the person that um, is nice? What what do I want to have people remember me by? And and I think when I was going through that as well, and this is a little side tangent, but I think when I was going through that, one thing that I really um, did a lot when I was a first year photography student was take a ton of pictures. And I took tons, tons of pictures of me with every single person I'd ever met. And I added everybody on Facebook and I really, I, I really wanted my network to, to spread and grow. But I think where it really came down to it was I wanted people to remember me. And I, so that's why I took pictures of everybody and posted them all over Facebook and did all this kind of stuff. Because I was like, 
that was that was the legacy that I wanted to live was like that people would be like oh he was happy and he was cool and you know whatever and oh, I miss him so much but that that's really not I think that's not the legacy I think that I realize now and we'll get back to that I think that legacy has changed but um what it did for me at that time too was it made me face fear and it made me face death and I think when you're not scared of death anymore and when there's not something that, um, I mean, the worst case scenario in almost every, everything that could <laughs> happen to us as human beings is we would die. You know, if, if we're, whatever it is, like that's, that's going to be. And I think we have such a deeply rooted, primitive fear of death. Um, and once you kind of like get to that point and face up to it. And a lot of people do on their, you know, deathbed when they're really old or whatever. I think when you do that as 18, I'm not to say that I'm any better off than anybody else, but I think it was just a really interesting, um, I feel like I have a second chance at life. And I feel like after my second, uh, episode, I feel like I have a third chance at life, you know? So I, I, I wake up so much more grateful and, and, not that I would be lying if I said I wasn't scared of death, but it's not something that I'm worried about. You know, that's not something like that I that even comes up very often because I could die driving home, you know, from the coffee shop tomorrow in a car crash or I could some a meteor could come through, you know, the house, or <laughs> or I could live to be 120. Like yeah. who knows? Yeah. Not me. And so that's something that I think when it all comes down to it when we think about like risk or, or starting a business or doing doing what we love you know we think about I think first layer is like oh how are we gonna make it through financially or how are we gonna do this or that or what's but if you honestly think of like what's the worst case scenario you know you run out of money okay that's horrible I hope that nobody ever goes through that or you're in lots of debt or whatever but like there's ways that you can get yourself out of that but it, deeper than that it I think is deeply rooted in that you're going to die, you know? And, and that's, I think if you start to truly face that and you don't, and you aren't scared of that anymore, then the other things don't become as scary because that's, so life just becomes, it just opens up so many different doors. I feel like that as an 18 year old, I just kind of got to open. And then also now I get to live my life in a different way than I would have ever um, lived before that. And not to say that I don't forget about or, you know, I forget about that all the time and I, I'm not grateful all the time and I'm not humble the way I should be, you know, but I, but I want to pursue that even more. And I've seen, um, just kind of how that, that affects life. And I want to live life differently because of what I've been through. What's your morning routine like? Oh, love that. It's changing. So right now my morning routine is I wake up, I go to the bathroom, I make my wife tea um, every morning. And then what I'm starting to do, I eat breakfast. I'm like a wake up. I have to eat breakfast within the first like 10 minutes. That's the way like my metabolism and some people can wait forever. My wife, like do you eat the same thing. Um, I switched up between a couple different things. I do, uh, eggs. I like eggs in the morning. Uh, just like straight up just eggs. That's it. Or, um, I've been doing like apples or apple and peanut butter or banana and peanut butter. Like those are two things. Um, and that's, that's about it that I don't normally do cereal or anything like that. Um, and then recently I've been getting into the habit, which is awesome of, um, oh, 
I always make the bed. Like that's a that's a key thing I've heard from a lot of people, and I think it really, if you can't accomplish anything else all day long, you know deep down inside that you like made the bed that morning. Yeah, there's a commencement speech from a general or a colonel yeah. or something like yep. that. Yeah, I'm forgetting his name, so I'll try to throw it in the notes of his name or try to link the YouTube video. But he talks exactly yeah. uh, exactly about that. It really, it really is a good routine to have. And then, and then recently, um, within the last couple months, I've been working out every single morning. And so, and this is all. I, I don't get up super early, but I'm up by um, six thirty, and then I'm. Uh, oh, I walk the dog every morning as well by seven. So I normally make you have tea. to walk Teddy. Yeah, exactly. Teddy is he needs his morning walk, rain or shine, <laughs> sunny or cold. You know, like it. Yeah, and so I'm always at, so I normally walk in about 7, try and head out to the gym by 7.30, and then um, be back showered, ready to like rock and roll by 8.30 or 9. Um, and that's that's kind of been my new routine that has just been awesome. And I think since I've been working out every morning, I like, I'm waking up earlier, um, which is really interesting. Um, I wake up without my alarm now since I've been working out in the mornings. Um, I won't say that I'm like more tired at night or anything like that. I can stay up the same length, but, um, and even if I stay up, let's say till one or two in the morning, like I still wake myself up without trying at six thirty because my body is just excited to go work out. So that's been a great, that's been a great routine, but that's, that's kind of my morning routine. Um, make the bed, walk the dog, make my wife tea and, uh, get her ready to rock and roll. And then. Uh, so we don't have any kids yet or anything like that. So that's kind of the routine will continue to change as we you know go through different chapters in life. But that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. And this this morning workout has been fantastic because, um, as as a good friend once said, that knows me pretty well. I have two modes, which is one is on and the other is off. So when I'm when it, like literally when the alarm goes off, I could wake up and have a deep theological conversation instantly and you know a lot of people are the morning groggy like i in a funky cloud for you know an hour or two until they get the coffee or whatever i am like wake up and i could yeah recite shakespeare to you like i'm, I'm but you don't drink coffee do you uh no you uh, don't. the only time i ever drink coffee is i normally wait until afternoon yeah. Um, and that's about it. And when I do, it's not very much, never any sweeteners or anything. And it just, not saying that's like what leads to grogginess yeah. too, but I mean, I've no. done that for, about you for a long time. You yeah. guys, you just haven't really drank morning yeah. coffee. Nope. You and, always offer me tea whenever yeah. I come over. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I've been drinking coffee. I, I wanted to get to like coffee, uh, but I definitely never wanted to become dependent upon it. And so, yeah, that's just something that I never... I just wake up and then when I go to sleep though, like I sleep hard and hardly anything will wake me up in the middle of the night, you know? So it's just a, I just turn on and then turn off and I'm, you know, that's kind of my day. So you said you just started working out in the morning and, um, you haven't, you kind of worked out in the past. Like you, you did yoga and things like that. So what's your, what what does your workout routine look like right now? Right now. And I think it's going to continue to change, but I, I've been doing, um, I hop on the elliptical uh, for a little bit, which like 15 minutes. And I do like the really hard setting of like almost like a Stairmaster or something like that. Like I'm, I'm chugging through. (laughs) And so um, just get the heart rate up and break a sweat within 15 minutes. That's kind of what I do. And then I go, I normally do 
um, free weights for a little while, and then I do like crunches, abs, that kind of stuff, and then I do legs, and um, yeah, that's kind of the routine. So that's that's about all it really is, and and uh, so there's no real rhyme or reason. I think for me, it's it's becoming more. I want it to be a habit instead of something that I choose to do. If that makes any sense, I really feel like it isn't as important right now because I'm not necessarily training for a marathon. I'm not training for a bodybuilding competition or anything like that. I just want to be able to a be healthy, b break a sweat and get my heart rate up every day because most of my job, most of my life is sitting in front of a computer. And that's, I want to be able to, you know, not just be in that slump all day. I want to look at something further out, you know, than just a computer screen. And I want to, um, just have a little bit more of that mental clarity. I think that comes from working out and getting your heart rate up and, and having that routine. I think I want it to be a habit more so than just like a, this is, this is how many crunches I do or whatever. I I do what pushes my body and what also, um, challenges myself. And the minute I, I normally don't even count how many times I do whatever. I, I normally just pick a weight that is, um, hard, like hard, but not too hard. And then I, I go until I start to really feel it. And then I start counting and that's kind of what, that's kind of what my routine is. So I'm sure if a personal trainer like came by my side (laughs) would be like, Homeboy, you are not. Yeah, there's probably one listening right guy. now that's yeah. like, come on, okay, yeah, I, I need to talk to this he's guy. He's there. I try and avoid him at the gym. So, <laughs> yeah. But but I think, I back to our conversation earlier, I think what I'm going for right now is those small wins. I want to get into a habit. I don't want it to be something that is hard, that I need to make that like, oh, should I sleep five more minutes or should I get out of bed? Like, I want to be able to be like, nope, this is what I need to do. This is... And then once I get into that habit, that's when I feel like I can tweak that habit to be better. But I think whether it's not doing it or doing it, I think, you know, diet and exercise is what every health thing that everyone ever says that, you know, type two diabetes or this or that, like it's always what it all comes down to is, is diet and exercise. So if I can get into the habit of eating healthier and exercising, like, then I think I'll be better than if I don't do those two things. So I, to me, it's, yeah, that I just want it to be a habit more so than like, this is my strict routine that I, you know, lift this much or whatever. So. How do those small wins, if you, as you were saying, yeah. that, how do those kind of carry over into like just your day to day, like when you're, when you're working, cause you don't go to an office, your office can be here in the house or right. a coffee shop. I mean, yeah. cause you, yeah. I mean, we'll call yourself a freelancer, but you do, yeah. I mean, you have a business where you, well, when you, what do you, what is your right. business? What do you right. do? Yeah. So right now, um, so I'll get back to the small, the uh, yeah, sure. small wins question. So right now what I do is I, I quit, um, full-time, um, working for somebody else. I, I work solely for myself. I quit about a year and a couple months ago. You're actually, you're in about five months ago now. Um, and, and basically all I wanted to do was see where the market was. I had a couple of jobs coming up and, and since I have such a diverse skill set of photography and design and some web stuff and, and video, I, I just wanted to see what the need was because I feel like if we can't add value um, to a client, to a person, then, then I'm not doing my job. And so I wanted to see where 
we were most in in Des Moines, Iowa. I wanted to see where we were most uh, value deficient, and um, and nowadays the photographer world is very oversaturated. There's lots of incredible photographers. There's lots of um, wonderful people that shoot and just see things that I don't even see. But what I did was I quit and I um, just started taking lots of odd jobs. So I've been. Uh, I do some design, I do some uh, websites, I do some video, I do some photography, and that's kind of my um, realm right now. And then I do quite a bit of teaching in the photography world. Uh, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one mentoring for photographers uh, that want to, they're kind of stuck where they're at um, right now, and then they want to go a little bit further. So I work with um, work with photographers, I work with kind of creative people, do some just accountability and mentoring, and that's that's been really wonderful. And I'm working on some writing projects, so every day looks so different, you know. Um, so um, that's that's what I work on right now. And it, I would say I'm about a third photography, about a third video, and about a third design is kind of layout right now. Um, but that shifts every month, that shifts every day. And so um, back to the small wins. I think for for what it means to be a self starter, to sit in a a home to be be in a home office, you know, all day long, and there's no one watching over your shoulder, keeping you accountable, or whatever it is. I think those small wins have to be um, something that you're getting done, something that you're giving to a client. This this value, I I would love to talk all day long about just adding value to people because that's that's what it really truly needs to be. And if you can add value to somebody's life, and I think just in in all the little tiny small habits make up for. Um, the big picture of what's actually going to happen because it's not necessarily the one big project that you can, you know, if you, if anybody hires you, most of the time it isn't like, okay, here's a bunch of money, do what you want and whatever you end up doing, I'll love, you know, so it's always back and forth. It's, it's a lot of the little wins. It's, and I think that can come in getting stuff done, but it can also come in um, just the relationships you're building with people, the the friendships that you're making, the clients that you're working with, the networking, the, hey, I heard about you from this, the, you know, or whatever it is. I think those are all little wins that um, I think if you can make that part of your routine, then it just really, if every day you're making small wins, you're going to continue to go down the right path than if every day you're, you know, pushing things off or procrastinating or, or whatever it is. I think that, um, yeah, I just always try and focus for those small wins that add up to the big picture. When you're, so you're getting these clients, you're doing yeah. the small wins, you're, you're adding value mm -hmm. to, to their business, their life, whatever it is sure. you're doing for them. Um, if you don't see that you can add value or if you don't see that maybe this client isn't, buying into what I'm trying to sell? Are yeah. you turning down clients right now? Or are you still kind of at a point where you're accepting any work you can get kind of thing? Right. I, I would not say that I'm turning them down. I am finding better people for them than me. And I think that's a really good spot to be in, which is like I meet for people, I shoot weddings sometimes and, and I don't advertise that I do weddings or anything like that. But I, but there's a lot of friends or friends of friends or whatever that come and, and approach me. And, and what I love more than booking a client for a wedding is I love finding them the right photographer for them. And so I, or, or whatever the project is, the video project and collaborating and working with other people. So 
I would never say that I like turn him down and leave him, you know, like, okay, high and dry, sorry, but not going to do it. But there are a lot of times where I, I, you know, I get to know the client, I get to know what their project is, and I try and find what they want out of it. And then I'll try and find, if it is me, then awesome. They're going to be really happy with that because my vision, what I'm going for, what I can contribute, how I can add value aligns with theirs, then awesome. But if not, then I'll, I, yes, there's many clients that I've turned away or, or found better people for them than I. And that's especially, yeah, I, I love doing that because if there is a client that I don't see aligning with what, there's no way that like, I'm either going to have to give on my artistry and on who I am to try and match them or they're not going to like it, you know? So if you can get rid of that right away and find them somebody that's going to be the right fit for them, then I would way rather go that route. What's been, what's been your favorite project so far? Oh man. I would say the the project for me that the way that I kind of grade them by favorite is the people that I'm working with. And, uh, second would be if I'm learning something new. And so, um, two projects that, if you don't mind me coming up with two, two, uh, and these are big picture things that I've done lots of small projects with, but, um, a is I've been doing a lot of ballet photography lately. Um, and that has just been incredible. So long story short, moved in next to some ballet, um, dancers years ago, like three, four years ago. I think when you first moved, in. moved back here, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and in that apartment complex, uh, and they gave us their free, like family tickets because one of them was from Rio de Janeiro. And so she was like, Hey, my family's not flying back. Like you can, <laughs> you and your wife can have our tickets. So we started going just as, uh, spectators and oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, um, performance and art and sport and all of that all in one. And it, I'm just amazed with it. And so with that, like kind of fell in love with it. And then just through crazy, how life works sometimes I, uh, within a couple of years was shooting all of their, um, shows and the ballet Des Moines here in town, their shows and their, um, advertising stuff for the upcoming seasons. And, oh man, it, it just has been such a fun thing to learn about because I never grew up dancing ballet or anything. And, and to get to know the, the dancers and to get, invited into their world um has just been such an incredible learning experience that has pushed me um I think as a visual art form it's pushed me further with my photography than anything recently because I have to be symbiotic with the music with their dancing with their bodies but it's not even just that like there is literally like one one thousandth of a second when they're let's say a girl's foot is straight vertical you know with with a kick that you just, you have to be present. You have to know what's coming. You have to anticipate and you can't miss it. And I think that for me is more exciting than shooting a football game, you know, or, or whatever, because it just is really, it's so hard to shoot. And I think that no matter how long I shoot it, I will never be perfect. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so that's really cool for me and that working with those professional ballet dancers. Um, so that's really cool. And then second is working with, um, I've worked with some missionary organizations and, um, here in the States and abroad. And 
I love the mixes my love of culture and travel with uh, my art form that I love, which is photography and telling stories. And, and you can tell a story so much differently um, through photography and through video. I've actually done quite a bit of video for him. Um, it, it's so different than ballet, <laughs> you know, like almost polar opposites, I feel like in so many different ways, but, but I can always learn from other people and I can learn about different, um, traditions and values and cultures from traveling. And, and I appreciate my own culture and I appreciate, uh, just so much, uh, by doing these different trips and working with these people, because I, I, I never feel like a quote unquote, let's say church mission trip. I, I always feel like if they're coming from the right mindset and the right heart, you will always get more out of it than what you give. And, and that for me has, I've just been given so much in that, in that realm that I've been so thankful for. And, and the people I've met are just incredible. And I've made some really great lifelong friendships and uh, throughout some of these different trips that I'm, I'm so grateful for. Now, I know that's really cool. Yeah. That really is really cool. I love, yeah. I love to hear things like that instead of like, yeah, the person paid for me to go on the sweet trip and we had a lot of fun. Like, that's all mm-hmm. well and good. Those mm-hmm. are really cool. But just to hear like your passion uh, just for photography alone, but then a new challenge and how do you master that challenge? Mm-hmm. And maybe even saying, I'll never master this, but I will always try to get to that perfection. Right. That's just absolutely amazing. Right. Uh, you had kind of mentioned briefly that you're sort of mentoring people. Um, and so I want to ask a follow-up question of that. And if yes. you don't feel like talking about that yet, that's <laughs> fine. But you, yeah. if, like a week or so ago when we yeah. met up, kind of to talk about this mm-hmm. first podcast, mm-hmm. you had said that you were thinking about actually starting sort of a, and maybe I'll say the words wrong, but like sort of a school where you're mm-hmm. actually, people are coming online and then you're mentoring them and you're teaching them photography skills and things right. like that. Do you want to talk about that? I'd love to. Um, so f- this is a, a project that I've been thinking about for a long time, but I'm trying to find the right avenue to take it. And I, and I think it's just, basically it falls under two different categories uh, that I don't, I don't have it figured out yet, which is um, adding value. How can I add the most value to someone? And then B is, um, especially when it's an online thing, is how can you capture somebody's attention? How can you keep their attention depending upon what it is. And so I think with that, I've been trying some different routes and I love the idea of like having a book, um, a written actual book, let's say no classes for a second. But I think with that, that's something that people can pick up or set down whenever they give you that attention, you know, if it is something that adds value to their life. And so I think for me, I've also been trying and experimenting a little bit with, um, with a classroom atmosphere. And so what we had chatted about was I, I taught a class last week that was actually hosted on a program called Slack and um, Slack.com. It's a, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, it's like a startup based out of New York, I think. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And it's a great way for it. It's geared a lot toward like workplace communication. And so the reason I really wanted to try it on that was it isn't necessarily just emails coming into your inbox, which I feel like for me, it's just, I'm always just shooting them down. You know, I, I go inbox zero, so I, I never have anything in my inbox, but when something does, I try and take care of it right away um, or file it or whatever I need to do. And so for me, when I get a quote unquote lesson sent to me, I'm like, ah, do I have 
30 seconds right now in my day, I don't want it to be sitting there, you know, and so I didn't want it to necessarily go that route. And maybe that will end up being what I do, but I feel like I'm, I'm still experimenting. So this experiment with Slack, I, I taught it for five days last week. We, um, we had a great, um, great network of students that uh, people I knew, people I didn't know that signed up for it. And, and what it was, was I posted daily some different thoughts and, and links and different things like that. But just, I think what was the magical part about this that I learned so much from was how people interacted with each other in this class. And I think that the, the thing that's lacking right now is, is accountability um, with photography or with anything creative. I, even if you're a painter, you know, it's easy to go six months without painting. It's easy to, if no one is saying, hey, how are your, how's your painting going? You know, and so that's the same with photography. And if you don't make it a habit to keep shooting, to keep pushing yourself forward, then it's, it's not going um, to really go anywhere. And so that's, that's one thing is that accountability. And, and these people were, um, the quote unquote students, were working together and I would prompt a question and they would talk about their own lives but then other people would say, oh, that's awesome. Have you thought about this? And, and I think just that community-based um, uh, learning center is where I really want to be. And so how that looks, I'm not sure yet, but I want to continue to go down that. And I'm doing some writings and I'm doing some thoughts. And I think um, where I'd ultimately end goal and focus of where I'm, I'm going with this is I, I really want our culture to not be as much of a mindless just taking tons of pictures I feel like photography can be so much more than what it is right now. And I feel like it can be a, an incredibly powerful tool for storytelling. It can be an incredibly powerful tool for um, your own life and your own, uh, how you see the world can be shaped so much through your own art of photography and, and how you express yourself and how you express your artistry and what you see and, and, and as cliche as it sounds like focusing on one thing is because if you walk into a city, you could take a zillion pictures, but to like actually go and, and have the mindfulness of this is what I want to capture. This is what I want to remember. This is what's important. And, and just to have that sense of self, I think throughout that is really what I'd love to see and what I'd love to work on. And maybe that'll be a life mission. Maybe that'll be you know, continually through that, but that's that's what the writing was more about, and that's what um, these classes were more based on. And I think that I, yeah, I I really feel like I was part of the um, mindless, you know, quote unquote selfie culture before that was a thing, um, back w my early college days, you know, and I I really feel like um, now I still am guilty of that, but I really want to connect with people. I want it to be. Um, I want people to see the world um, in a different way and I, and I want to see the world in a different way. And so I think that challenging myself through that and that's what um, artists, the, the greatest artists can change culture through their vision and can change it through um, how they see the world and how they impact the world is, is like, I just think of, I'm just trying to come up with random people like, um, let's say Andy Warhol, you know, or Pablo Picasso, or some of these great painters, they were crazy. You know, they were, people saw their vision as, as crazy, but what it ended up doing was it, it can start to move a generation, and, and the greatest musicians are, are just pushing things so much further, but, um, and talking about real issues, but it has to be through the filter of themselves, but it can't be 
about themselves. It has to be about culture. And, and so I think that, um, that, that people can do. And I think that all of us can do that in our own way, um, with photography. And I think that when it comes to photography, there's, there's so many different, like a painting, you are creating something. And with photography, you're capturing something. And those are two different mindsets. But I think so much of us right now, we're in a curating culture where we have Pinterest accounts and all this kind of stuff. And we always see other people's and we try and fit that to our own lives. And, you know, but I think that capturing what's important is where photography fits into this. And I think that if we can really um, just slow down and have a mindfulness practice with photography, I think that we, our photos will get so much better and can, um, and can improve. And, and it's not about like having better photos than anybody else because it's a, it's a solo game. You know, it's how you interact with it. Almost like a good yoga practice or something like that, you know, is all you're doing is improving yourself if you're going to improve your photography. And I think that that, that's incredible, but it also has the power to change organizations it has the power to change so much with you know like with a ballet company if you're an incredible ballet photography photographer and they have great photography and people can't go to the shows that's how they see this incredible art form or if you are in in organ you know like let's say new orleans after the flood you know horrific horrific stuff and the journalists and, and the newspapers and that, you know, the video from down there, that's how we saw what actually was happening. Um, and, and good stuff that's happening, you know, good, bad, all the emotions can be captured um, through photography. And I think that's why it's such an important thing. And I think that we need to continue to move toward um, that craftsmanship with photography and that, um, that mindfulness in it instead of just shooting tons and hoping to get something good. I would way rather us shoot less and have way higher quality because we're so overstimulated as a culture and as a people um, that what it really takes to stand out is somebody who knows themselves and can be an artist as well as a photographer. A couple more questions. Yeah. Uh, I kind of want to close it out on uh, yeah. just something a little lighthearted, I guess. So, Absolutely. Um, well, maybe this isn't so lighthearted, but I think it's a good question. Uh, tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Mm. <sighs> tell you something that's true that almost no one agrees with me on. I love this question. I don't know if I've ever taken... Um, time to think through this that's fine if you want to keep thinking about it I can ask the second question if you want nope I'm going to take this one <laughs> alright here's what here's what's flooding through I'll talk through this um, I guess there, there's so much and it, it, I think that I think one thing that we really maybe don't value as much in our culture is, is just thought of like going through hard things really makes us who we are in a good way. And, um, like, I think it was Abraham Lincoln had a quote, maybe he said it or not, but you know, if you chop your own wood, it will warm you twice. If that makes it, 
any sense. And I think of that as like, if I'm, if it's winter and there's snow on the ground and I'm freezing cold inside the house, what I truly need to do is go outside, shovel my own driveway. And if I'm still not warmed up, then I need to shovel my neighbors. And if I'm still at some point, I will warm up because I'm doing the hard thing. And I think that through that, so many people sit in and choose to be a, choose to be a victim instead of choosing to be a victor. And I think that that's a choice and, um, and how you see yourself and how you present yourself and all that. So I, I would say that like one of the many things that flooded to my head was that maybe, maybe it's just, I'll narrow it down to this, that, that becoming a victim or a victor is a choice. And I know that anybody listening to this will probably butt heads with that, you know, and, and that's okay. But I really feel like, because yes, there are people that have cancer. My mom had breast cancer, you know, and she developed from the radiation. She developed third degree burns all over her body from her neck to her, um, waist. And she went through so much. And one of my mentors in life had cancer and, and, um, he passed away a couple of years ago from it, but it's, but neither one of them choose to be a, chose to be a victim. You know, they didn't say, Oh, poor me. They, you know, they were going through hell, but it was incredible. Like to see them choose to be a victor in it. And they did. And, and I know Just that, like you don't choose to have the snow fall on the ground. Maybe that's a bad exactly. comparison, but I no, think, I think it's a perfect comparison because you can either choose to, you know, whine and be cold and, you know, like take that attitude that I think a lot of, a lot of us do. And I'm, I fall victim to that a lot, you know, but I think to choose to do the hard thing, choose to take the high road, choose to whatever it is in life. I think that you, your choice to become a victim or a victor, that, that is your choice. And I think that, um, you should always choose to be a victor in that. That's awesome. That's really great, Ryan. Uh, and last question. Who is the most interesting person you have sat next to on an airplane? <laughs> oh, like for me, yes, I sat next to yeah. a uh, South American, I can't remember what country he's from, but a South American priest mm. who was returning from returning home from Rome when I spent some yeah. time in Italy back yeah. in college. And it was just... He spoke Spanish. I didn't know anything. Yeah. I couldn't understand any of this, any Spanish. Uh, still don't understand Spanish. And uh, but it's just fascinating me. It just seemed like yeah. he was just the most fascinating person in the world. Heck yes. The the first one I've I've been on a lot of flights and I've sat next to and I am the person that will always strike up a conversation with the person next to me. Always, always. Um, just because I find people so fascinating. Um, the first one, there was a flight maybe last year that I was coming, I think back from California, and he was, he's a railroad engineer, and this is so fascinating, he was a railroad engineer Interesting. for, um, so he fixes railroads, like literally when like the, the actual rails are damaged, and you know, you have trains going off, like he would go out and do that, so... Okay, like that's really fascinating to me, but it wasn't one of those things that I'm like, he's the most fascinating person. <laughs> but he works in Area 51, so he like wow. couldn't talk about a lot, but like that was one of his areas. And we know there's trains most there. Of, yeah, so most <laughs> of it like weighs in and out 
are like train lines. And so he was just talking and I, I asked him, what is the most, I, I asked questions like, like, what's the most fascinating part about your job? And he, or, or no, I asked him, what is one thing that um, people don't know that you know? It, not specifically about Area 51, but he was talking about like how much um, there are things like, and I'm not going to speculate or go crazy, but like bombs and different things like that that are actually on regular railways, railways that people have no idea are actually out there. And him fixing and being around trains, he, he can kind of tell. And he said that there's a lot of times there's um, in a normal train cars, there will just be about 30 back. There'll be, you know, a bunch of armored military guys and then a, a cart with something in it and then a bunch of armored. And he said they're always followed by drones like miles and miles up and like all these different things that like you would never know unless you were in the industry. You know, it's it's all top secret stuff. So like I just, I thought that that was so fascinating and maybe he's making it all up, maybe not. Like it's all conspiracy, who knows, you know, but I just thought that was so fascinating to talk to somebody that just did something that I didn't even know was a job. I didn't realize it, but he's so crucial to so much by fixing those. And I, it just was absolutely fascinating to me to chat with him for a couple hours. So we just literally sat down, talked the entire way, and then we got done and we were like, oh, I guess we're back. All right. So that was, that was one of the most interesting ones. Yeah. Where can people find you at? Oh, um, well, at my house or no. <laughs> no. His address is. Yeah, uh... no. <laughs> I, I, Ryan Morrison, M-O-R-R-I-S-O-N, photo.com. That's kind of where all my photography stuff lands. Um, I'd say that's, that's probably the best place. Um, Instagram, also Ryan Morrison photo. Um, those are where I spend my most time. I do have Twitter and all that kind of stuff, but I really don't spend as much time there. I just really focus on the on um just the website and and instagram i think is kind of the the one thing um that you so you can find my email on both of those or whatever and and yeah reach out to me i love meeting new people and i love uh keeping people updated on projects and whatever i'm working on ryan this has been a lot of fun (laughs) i've had so much fun talking to you absolutely loved it i appreciate you taking the time you're welcome no problem